I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Rebecca. And so, Rebecca, you and I were discussing for a while what exactly we should title this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think we finally uh, settled on the idea, is the modern progressive gospel a gospel at all? So we're going to treat today a little bit like some of our previous uh, article of the week's. Only normally we read an article of the week because we think it's so awesome. <laughs> Today we're going to be reading an article of the week that is kind of the opposite of awesome, anti-awesome. <laughs> and this is something that I, I don't know about you, but this week when I read this, I had a, a friend of ours, Alyssa mm-hmm. Childers, uh, brought this to my attention. And I've had my inner mama bear has been rising up against this article kind of all week. Every time mm-hmm. I start reading it, you know, my hands start instinctively going into like, spiritual fisticuffs <laughs> spiritual taekwondo yeah exactly so um just because the the content of this article it, it would be one thing if this were coming from a secular humanist society that would you know yeah. like you know the the church of skepticism or something yeah. it is a whole different story the fact that this is coming not only from within christian circles but it is written by a woman that is a children's pastor yes. at her church. And so I kind of jokingly posted on Facebook today, did, did you see the it's the little mm-hmm. clip from that movie, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, no. where it has, okay, so it's, oh, I'm trying to remember her name, Tina Fey, she plays a reporter oh, over oh, in the oh, Middle East. Oh, I did East. see that, that was hilarious, <laughs> <laughs> where the, the, the Muslim woman and yeah yeah. Afghanistan has its first woman driver today and then it shows the women (laughs) backing up into like and all these men around (laughs) going no and Tina Fey just goes by the way that is what I would do yeah she was looking at it and she's like oh that sucks that sucks yeah I yeah like that's something I would do you know the moment everyone's looking at you I would just do something stupid like that (laughs) but she says that sucks that sucks for women you know because it's the first female driver so when I see a a woman come out with theology like this that's basically the feeling that I have and I'll post that clip on the website in the podcast notes because it's funny it's interesting I guess when I started reading it I just was thinking well yeah I've heard this before I've heard this from atheist friends, but it didn't mm-hmm. really sink in that, yes, this is a children's pastor. Now, she says it's a progressive Christian church, but she's yes. a children's pastor, and she's kind of complaining at the beginning that, that she is expected is expected that she teaches the gospel and Easter, and she's kind of upset about it. So, <laughs> yeah, that, when it, that sinks in. It's like, okay, I've heard this before, but like you said, this is not some atheist. You know, no. this, is a, this is someone serving in the body supposedly Mm -hmm. yeah yes yes indeed and so um this is this is basically why mama bear exists is to combat Mm. this kind of teaching and this tonight we're gonna really really attempt to do exactly what we have urged the mama bears to do on multiple occasions number one well we're kind of chewing and spitting we're gonna be mostly spitting this is one of those things that it's so bad i mean good grief we even found good stuff in the shack and like 
I just cannot find almost anything redeeming in this. Uh, and there's not that many things that I can say that about. Yeah. Um, but so it's the idea of we're going to go through kind of line by line and be like, okay, what does scripture teach about this? Because I kind of also noticed the phrase, I think and I believe oh, um, uh-huh. in multiple places. Lots in here. of eyes. Mm-hmm. Yes, lots of eyes. And so this is all based on the authority of me, the authority of uh, mm-hmm. what I think uh, Christianity should say despite what it actually does say. And so we're going to look through scripture and say, okay, is this what Christianity actually does teach? And the answer is kind of an emphatic no. Christianity does not teach almost any of the stuff that she's saying here. It's, it is such a, uh, I can't even, anyway, it, it'll come out. There's as no we read this. classic Christianity in this. There this is, is no sort classic Christianity. Yeah. Taking the, the, the externals about Christianity and then tacking on some kind of political ideology to it. The people who want to argue that maybe all religions teach the same thing, you could probably use this article as as evidence Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of stuff in here. It's kind of like be a good person, you know, be brave and, you know, kind that, yeah, there are a lot of religions teach that. And even though, yes, it's absolutely true that the Lord wants us to be brave and to be kind, that is not what Christianity is based on. Yeah. And so anyway, without, without further ado, we're going to go into the title of this article. It's called The Trouble with Easter, How to and Not to Talk to Kids About Easter. And again, the purpose of this podcast is not to take down a person. The, that, that's the thing that I was going to say, the thing that we've uh, tried to encourage Mama Bears to. We do not demolish people. We demolish ideas. Yeah. And it is it is my hope that we will absolutely raise up as ferocious mama bears and tear every single line in this that is not biblical down, miss scripture, and at the same time saying that the person who wrote this, we are not put here to judge them, that they are to stand before God, and mm-hmm. he will be the one to deal with them. That is not our job, job, but we can take these ideas and say, does this compare with what scripture teaches? And it does not. Yeah. So... So here it is, the trouble with Easter, how to and not to talk to kids about Easter. Public execution, child sacrifice, (laughs) rising from the dead. Just the kind of stories you want to tell your kids, right? Yeah, me neither. As a children's pastor in a progressive Christian church, and let's just stop right there. I don't think the word progressive ever really needs to be tacked on to Christian because progressive means that it was once worse and now it's getting better well that might be her whole theology but the christian faith it's like it it says in scripture that jesus christ i think it says in hebrews that he's the final revelation he Mm -hmm. is the revelation of god there is no progressing from jesus if you want to tack something onto jesus you no longer really have the christianity of the bible so she probably thinks that the bible she has you know she has some different views on maybe the the textual criticism or maybe even the the veracity and i want to absolutely also say that the words progressive and liberal when it comes to christianity are very very different from the words progressive and liberal when it comes to political things and so we can critique the idea of progressive and liberal christianity while not necessarily having the same connotation as progressive and liberal politics so i just want to specify that john and i actually had a conversation with a couple about this on Easter. Okay. Um, the differences between progressive liberalism when it comes to Christianity. But and would you find that most of the progressive Christians tend to be 
progressive liberals. There is definitely a correlation. I mean, and, and the progressive Christians are very politically, they talk a lot of politics. The politics has kind of become their gospel in a way. Yeah. But I mean, we see the same thing with conservative Christians. We see, oh, yes, especially yeah, in this right. last election cycle. Anyway, so like we just got held up on the second sentence. So we should probably keep going. <laughs> Um, it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah. So as a children's pastor in a progressive Christian church, Easter is, well, it's rough. For me, anyway, I am responsible for children birth through fifth grade, and teaching the central Christian story to kids is one of my biggest challenges. No matter what I do at the Easter story, someone is likely to be upset. If I tell it flat out, I not only go against my ethos in regards to nurturing children's spirituality. <sighs> yeah. But I, I'd also be confusing boatloads of kids and the message of my ministry as a whole. So apparently it's confusing to tell the story straight out. Um, if I don't tell it at all, I'll certainly have folks more outside the church than within wondering what sort of heretical witchcraft I'm having the kids do instead. That right there also is pr- problematic. If the fact that you're not teaching the gospel and you have more people outside of your church that have a problem with that mm-hmm. than people inside the church, then that should also be a red flag as to your church. Anyway, so if I kind of tell the story, you know, reframe it, leave the icky stuff out, simplify it for the kids, the story becomes hollow because it's not meant to be a moral of the story kind of narrative, which is interesting that she says that mm-hmm. because she turns it into, that, that's exactly what she does to it. And it's odd that she says off the bat it's not meant to be. So there's something in her that says this isn't right. If you realize that this is not Christianity that you like, then then why on earth do you, do you call yourself a Christian? I mean, this is odd. It's very uh, um, contradictory. Yeah. So, and I would argue this jeopardizes the integrity of the text. To this, I must say, I heartily agree. <laughs> um, wow. So, That said, there are things I know I don't want to teach. So these are all the things that she does not want to teach. Let's be clear, Mama Bears. These are things she says she does not want to teach. Number one, Jesus died for you and your sins. Let's leave... (laughs) Let's let that sink in for a second. Oh, my goodness. So she says, while I realize that that statement won't psychologically damage every kid, if it damages one, it's not worth using. I can understand where she's coming from, this idea that she... uh, Sometimes people who retract from this so much do so because they have been presented with something called worm theology. Are you familiar with worm theology? No. So worm theology is the idea that... Uh, we are so horrific before the Lord. It's like we're little worms before him. And it's this, you know, we're just in the dirt and the mire. There's nothing good. And it's kind of beating people over the head with the idea of sinfulness, which that mm-hmm. itself can be an abusive thing. And so sometimes mm-hmm. people coming out of that go the opposite direction. So It's like taking total depravity, you know, to... It's like worshiping total yeah, depravity. Yeah. And like, so... But the idea that you're going to change your message because you believe it's going to be psychologically damaging, I'm sorry, you you think a lot less of kids than I do. Anyways, so she says, to that end, I can list hundreds of people for whom the sentiment, i.e. the sentiment that Jesus died for you and your sins, was harmful. Uh, And to that I say, no, they they probably had an abuse of this sentiment. They didn't just have this sentiment. Uh, We have to find better words. What does she mean by harmful? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I, I, sometimes they broaden the definition of harmful yes. to where if you feel any shame whatsoever, that's bad. Yeah. Our, our culture is very shameless today. 
Uh, and the only people that should feel shame are the people who inflict shame. And those are those fundamentalist Christians. And we'll <laughs> shame them. But shame is bad. Anyway, it's just incoherent. Yeah. But. <laughs> well said. Um, so she says, we have to find better words and be very intentional with our language. And the reality is Jesus didn't die specifically for your kid, which, you know, granted, I can say is, you know, kind of true. And I, I do have some some scripture. OK, so John eleven forty nine through 52. Then one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize it is more to your advantage to have one man die mm -hmm. for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Now, he did not say this of his own, but because he was high priest that year, he prophesied that yeah. Jesus was going to die for the Jewish nation and not for the Jewish nation only, but to gather together into the children of God, all those who were scattered. And then First John 2, 2 says, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Yeah. So, so someone, you know, it's important that with children seeing pictures of Jesus on the cross that mm -hmm. they think. You know, they they put him there. Yeah, if they say it was me personally, we're part of putting him there. Yes. Uh -huh. So that that's that's our small little nugget of truth that we can affirm there. Yeah. Um, but then she goes into just a bunch of heresy after this. She says Jesus died publicly and grotesquely because he was a political and religious threat to those in power. <laughs> yes, political. It doesn't surprise me that she would um, fall on this because I think she's more of a political progressive than she is a religious mm -hmm. person but yeah. why was he a religious threat yeah um, does she think about that why was he <laughs> a religious threat was it just because he was you know calling the 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 you know the pharisees and the sadducees and the sanhedrin into account or you know why were they upset at him well what did they say at the trial <laughs> you know yeah. anyway it's like does she read her bible <laughs> And here's where we have one of those famous I believe statements. So philosophically and theologically, I believe Jesus submitted to the judicial system of the day because he felt it was the right thing to do. And perhaps the most powerful way to communicate the notion that God's presence follows us even unto death. No, 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 he, mama bears. Yeah. This is not, this is absolutely not what scripture teaches. Why did Jesus die? Rebecca, why did Jesus die? <laughs> For our sins, so, <laughs> to, to rescue us, yes, <laughs> to pay so, the debt, <laughs> absolutely. but also to, to rescue us from, from death. So what does scripture teach about it? We've got 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, for sins, the righteous for, sins. for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 John 2.2, 2, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through the uh, death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So 1 Corinthians 15.3, and really all of 1 Corinthians 15 actually is kind of a really good kind of rebuttal to a lot of her points. Actually, I'm, I'm just going to read a whole bunch of this just because I think it's important to have it all. And I'm going to read it with the same flair that I think Paul might have kind of been <laughs> thinking in his head when he wrote it. So he says, now I want to make it clear to you, brothers and sisters. So he's wanting to make this clear that the gospel that I preached to you, that you received and on which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, 
I think that's an interesting caveat, unless you believed in vain, which I think we're pointing out. I'm not sure how much this girl really believes this. Yeah. For I passed on to you as a first importance. So this is a pretty, pretty meaty prologue that Paul has to this. Yes. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised mm. on the third day according to scriptures. Uh, he said that he appeared to, then it's a whole section of all the people he appeared to, whether then it was I or they, this is the way we preach and this is the way you believe. So he's saying, let me make this clear to you. This is of first importance. Yeah, and, and actually this is that famous passage that people believe is based off a very, very early creed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, the, way it, the, the way the Greek is, it looks like he is actually quoting from like a song or something, right? Where yeah. it's, it's obvious that he's quoting some formulaic thing. And people think this is very, maybe within 10 or 15 or so years after Christ's I thought it was, for some reason, I thought I remembered hearing Justin say like within three to 10. Like, or oh, three like, to 10, okay. I was thinking it was like within three, but I could yeah. be wrong. Um, it's very close. So yeah, this is you know this is like coming from the first of the first um, and the, yeah. the eyewitnesses. Um, she's gonna have to. It's good. She's going against what they said. So yeah. I, I wonder why. So the I, yeah, yeah the idea that she's saying that it's misleading to say mm. that Jesus died for your sins. No, I'm sorry, it's not misleading. It's actually very biblically accurate. What's so, really disturbing to me is that this woman. Um, is on has been published by a woman this unfundamentalist parenting and when we looked her up she went to moody she went to wheaton oh no she went to wheaton and she went to fuller seminary mm-hmm. so she should know better than this i would think yeah um, yeah i mean i don't know i i just it's it's kind of it's sad to me that yeah. i i just did this lady does this lady just reject a lot of scripture and has kind of built up her own she admires Jesus and has kind of ripped him out of his context and turned him into kind of a social justice warrior. Or, yeah, I, um, I don't know. But again, I'd like to stick, stick back with the ideas and not the person. We can just say, you know what? God is going to deal with that person that is espousing these and that is putting them out there. But we're going to deal with the ideas and say um, and really stick to that. So her first idea that is apparently psychologically damaging is to teach that Jesus died for your sins. And through some of these scriptures, we can see, no, actually, that's sort of what scripture teaches. So the second point that she says she's not going to teach during Easter is that God killed Jesus, wanted Jesus to die, intended for Jesus to die as the primary purpose of his life. Um, She says to attempt to teach the concept of a loving God while also delivering this narrative, along with uh, many other biblical narratives, is confusing and jarring. This also makes the concept of following Jesus much more ominous and threatening than it should be. Oh, my goodness. I think Jesus made it ominous and threatening. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and to talk about the, the precious believers in Syria. I mean, goodness. It's maybe ominous and threatening to us cushy little rich young rulers in America, but I, yeah. I don't, yeah. If, 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 you're, if you and your child feel that you don't have to give up anything and that there really is no, um, I don't want to say danger, but there's no risk in following Christ, then I don't think you're following the historic Christian Jesus. And in fact, there's not a lot of things that are included in like all the Gospels. Yeah. And I still haven't found the one in, in, um, in John yet, but I didn't do like full, full research on this. But 
I mean, here, here, here's just a couple of things that Jesus says about what, what it means to be a Christian. So John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That doesn't, that's a little ominous and threatening. So 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It makes me think of uh, the class I took with Clay Jones, where he was, it's talking about the problem of evil. <laughs> and he was saying how, you know, if there's a movie that has like, you know, graphic sexuality or something in it, and someone asks you to see it, instead of saying, no, that's not really my kind of movie, you know, come right out and say, no, I think that's pornographic. And I don't think that God is very pleased with me watching stuff like that. And you will start living the exciting Christian life. <laughs> Especially as, as young people, they'll mm-hmm. get more pressure, I think, even. Uh, yeah, Mark eight thirty four through 38, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So this is not a message that he preached just to his disciples. He called the crowd to him. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, he will find it. And again, repeated in Luke nine twenty three through 25. And again, all of these, we'll put these on the, in the podcast notes. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever, whoever would lose his life, would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit for a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? He repeats this in Matthew 10, 38. Uh, he repeats it again in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Um, and John 16, 33 really is the ultimate crux of like, you know, the promises of God. Everybody talks about the promises of God and they look at Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, oh, I know the plans I have for you. But I'm like, this is the true New Testament promise here is uh, when he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those are our promises. Yeah, so like you said, it's... You know, it's so interesting to me. I, I think that her... Well, this theology is is very psychological, and it's mm-hmm. all about protecting the child from shame, protecting them from this fear. But a premise in this idea, if we have to protect them from something ominous and threatening, is that... A f- their fear would be valid, but we're saying, you know, there is something that seems om- ominous and threatening, but mm-hmm. we don't need to be afraid. Yeah, um, exactly. It's it's an eternal perspective versus a very earthly perspective that 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 is being taught here. Um, yes. Yeah. And the irony is, is that she seems to be pr- wanting to to wrap children in this little bubble to protect them from fun- fundamentalists, though it's usually those those type of progressives that are accusing us of sheltering children, you know, (laughs) but usually it's sheltering from their versions of morality, which we tend to think are immoral. Yeah. So for further uh, sheltering here. So the third thing that she does not want to teach kids is that Jesus died to save them from God's judgment or hell. And I can understand how there there's ways that you would say, say this to a kid because, you know, kids still, you know, believe in the boogeyman and it's like they're they've got very vivid imaginations so you know going into all the details of judgment and hell maybe not necessarily but this is what she says this suggests that these children exist in a way that is displeasing or unsatisfactory to god which further suggests that god is a being sitting on some shiny throne literally evaluating every individual life from afar 
casting judgment and glaring in disdain. Well, these are atheist arguments. These are atheist arguments. This is not. This is not the Christian God that I worship. This is the. I I worship the Christian God that is goodness Himself. Yeah. And it grieves Him that we turn from Him, and when we turn from Him, we turn to evil (laughs) and we accept evil. And what does He do? He enters the evil world Himself and suffers the same temptations to rescue us. Yeah. That's a little bit different than some distant God sitting on a throne and judging us like, I don't know, like Brocklehurst in the... Yeah, like in the, the way she described. Jane Eyre movies, <laughs> you know. Oh. So, anyway. but she goes on and this is like, I'm like, this is where I start really bristling up. There is nothing inherent to these children's humanity from which they need to be saved. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. That, this is this is this is ca- humanism. This is humanism. It's an absolutely yeah. castrated gospel, like absolutely mm-hmm. castrated. So she said, "Oh, she goes on to say, therefore, an atonement theology of inborn corruption in need of redemption has no place in a conversation with kids about Easter." Think about those the the people that put Jesus to death. Was was <laughs> there inherent evil in them? Well, of course, that's that's the evil that's outside. Because those are the power structures. This is almost a little bit of Marxism as well. Those are the power structures. It's a very mm-hmm. oversimplified view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this, this very much, and, and she even says, of course, when you don't believe in a literal, eternal, flaming hell, this point is easier to deal with. So apparently she doesn't even believe in hell. Um, but so this idea that she says that there is nothing inherent to these children's humanity from which they need to be saved... That's another one that I'm saying, okay, let's take this idea and let's compare it against what scripture says. And I've actually got a lot of, a lot of passages on this one. Psalm 51, 5, David speaking, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. This idea of original sin is that we are born into sin. So Romans 3, 10 through 18, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. First uh, John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that there's nothing in our humanity that we need to be saved from, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, and, uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Golly, I could just keep going on. Psalm 14, 2 through 3. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If, if, you know, I'm reading her sentence in atonement theology of inborn corruption in need of Uh redemption. So if she doesn't believe in inborn corruption, do she believe that these children are not sinners? Does she? She must have way better behaved children than any of the ones that I've ever encountered. I wonder if she is a mom. (laughs) Because that's one thing is becoming a mom really kind of teaches you, wow, they really do have a will and they really do know you know, in their <laughs> level, you know, they know <laughs> that they're going against the, the rule. Anyway, I remember one of my little nephews, I won't say which one it is, but he was, I can't remember how old he was. He was really young, though, and he had mud on his feet and he was walking through the kitchen. And my mom was saying, now, don't don't step on the carpet. Don't step on the carpet. He waited till she looked away. He put his toe on the carpet. And it, actually, I can't even remember if he waited till she looked away because I think she thought 
he put his toe on the carpet Mm -hmm. and then back not enough to actually make a mark but it's like you can't tell me what to do so yeah and there's a friend of mine who said that her mom told them that they didn't believe in original sin until she had her first (laughs) child which was my friend and i can't remember who it was but i thought that was kind of hilarious and she's like hey now that i think about that (laughs) kind of insulting but i'm like if it's not inborn i mean Mm -mm. they get it pretty quickly (laughs) yeah after you know i mean it's yeah it it seemed like she's she's a little bit idealistic about not that not that children are hardened sinners. I mean, yeah. it's like she's fighting an extreme form of fundamentalism that would like I get again like I said the Brock, Brocklehurst in the the Jane Eyre book mm-hmm. at the the orphanage for the char- charity school and they were mortifying the flesh of these young mm-hmm. girls because you know they were sinners you know and it was just horrible yeah um, yeah that's an extreme um, and I I actually wrote a passage on this for in one of my uh, Biola classes this week about this idea of asceticism I think is it asceticism, asceticism. or asceticism okay yeah, asceticism. Um, yeah. yeah this idea of mortifying the flesh like we have to punish ourselves for being so bad and that's that's not what the gospel teaches at all and so it's like you said she's using atheist arguments and it's not it's also assuming that teaching children that they're not perfect is damaging to them yeah um i actually who are the one population of people in the world that really think highly of themselves where are they located in prisons You know, I mean, we don't want, that's narcissist. You know, we don't want to be, not that we, yeah, I, I, let me share a quote from, you know who? Chesterton, (laughs) I'm sure. It's from his book, Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. Christianity, he's talking about what Christianity um, has all these just neat ways of resolving things. And one of the things it does, it separated the two ideas and then exaggerated them both. These are the wretchedness and greatness of man. In one, man has to be haughtier than he had ever been before, you know? And this is my words, but God basically came in the flesh and saved him. We are Mm -hmm. infinitely valuable. In another way, he was to be humbler than he had ever been before. Insofar as I am a man, I am the chief of creatures. Insofar as I am a man, I am the chief of sinners. (laughs) And he said, so the church is positive on both points. It's not like, you know, negative and negative. It's positive in the sense of one can hardly think too little of oneself, yet one can hardly think too much of one's soul. Mm. And that's, I, I love that. It contains these two paradoxes, and Pascal called it the greatness and the wretchedness of man. And, and you know, we all know it. We, we intuit this. Yeah. And Christianity comes along and gives us. All she wants to talk about is the greatness. But when you focus on it like that, I'm afraid that it just is going to create narcissists. Yeah. You know, because those children know. <laughs> you know, they know. This type of thinking is living in a... A bubble itself. It's in a bubble away from the realities of, yeah. of the world. And that's just the irony is that we would be accused of putting children in a bubble. Yeah. From, you know, certain I like, immorality I, in our culture. But mm. I like that quote yeah. from Chesterton, how it really does bring the two things that we think really highly and really low. Uh, and it's, it's both and. It's not yeah. one or the other. We can't think too low because that's the worm theology. We can't think too high, because that's saying that there's nothing that we need to be safe from. I just got to ask, if there's nothing that we need to be safe from, why did Jesus come? 
He's an example of how we endure unjust suffering from authorities. Oh, so yes, So this is course. politics. This is, this is really Marxism. This is mm-hmm. Marxism. This is might makes right, you know, fighting the might makes right mentality. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I'm reading it. Um, I, I, I imagine this person has been educated recently, has a very liberal education, might even be in the humanities, I'm assuming, and has just taken on a lot of these things from, you know, it's probably not her fault at all. I mean, well, we all are at fault, right? So I don't want to be her. I don't be, she's inherently good, but I yeah. want to be charitable. It didn't come from a vacuum. We'll just say that. <laughs> That's just the, really the, the education system we have. I, I hear Marxism yeah. in his. So, so here's the next thing that uh, she doesn't want to teach, that coming back from the dead is something you can expect to happen. <gasps> oh my <While> goodness. <laughs> oh, okay. Where's, the, where's, G, G, where's Paul? Where did he say? If Jesus oh. did not rise. Oh, that's all. That's in that's in First Corinthians 15. Our that, hope is in vain. Oh, yep. my goodness. So she says, Poor while lady. there is much beauty to me mine from the resurrection narrative, I'll touch on this later, I don't think it's helpful or healthy to suggest that resurrection healthy. is a present-day reality that our children can hope or wish for hey, in their own lives. what is unhealthy about thinking they're going to get it? If, if it? if it's not true, they die. Hey, they died believing it. It's not going to make a difference. I well, mean, I don't <laughs> understand the unhealthy. Okay, anyway. <laughs> So here's her. This idea, I believe, hinders the grief process and doesn't help them to effectually process death. It's important for our children to learn to face loss gracefully, accepting the reality of loss while being held as they grieve. Um, She's preaching nihilism. I'm sorry. There's nothing good about that. Oh, bless her heart. Uh, So, yeah. um, let's, yeah, let's, Let's look again back to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. So I'm just... Yeah, and well, I, I'm going back up to the front, at the top of the thing where she talks about God follows us into death. So I don't understand. She, it, this is incoherent. I mean... Yeah. I, I, she sounds like an atheist here. And There's a lot of atheist arguments in this. Yeah, and yet, but she talks about Jesus's death shows us that God follows us into death. So I, I don't. What, what does she expect happens to us? Does she talk about it later? Maybe. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not totally sure. Um, actually, she discusses the idea. So before I finish in First, first Corinthians 15, so. I understand, yeah, you don't want to teach your kid that their parent's going to come back to life like right now, like within the next couple of years, but that's the purpose of teaching about eternity. So we're not combating yeah. harmful but teachings. That would be we're, teaching the resurrection to them. We need to be, we need to be teaching good theology yeah. and what scripture actually teaches. And if you teach good theology and what scripture actually teaches, I, the child's not going to expect that this is going to, is going to happen in the next year or two. This is always talking about the future. So she asks, what on earth do we do with Easter? And this is where I really lost it. Uh, She says, one thing to bear in mind is this. The point of the Easter story isn't whether or not Jesus literally rose from the dead. We're missing the point if we're fighting over the historical accuracy of a bodily resurrection. Does this lady friends with Bart Ehrman? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Let's go back again to our 1 Corinthians 15 um, and I'm just going to read it from the beginning again, read the, the, or not from the beginning. I'll start in verse 12. 
Uh, if Christ is preached as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in reality he did not raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still in your sins. So scripture is saying, if you teach what this woman is saying, we should teach these ideas. Your faith is useless. It would be, it's, it's absolutely purposeless to have this kind of faith. This is not a saving faith. Yeah. And so mama bears, you should be rising up in righteous indignation if someone is teaching your children things that are absolutely eroding the foundation of their faith. Uh, Paul devoted an entire chapter, basically, in 1 Corinthians 15 to most of what she is saying here. Yeah. Like, really, we could just combat it with just reading the, the whole 1 Corinthians 15. Just read the New Testament. I mean, anything, yeah. anything in there is going to... It just... I, I don't know what she's reading. Yeah. Is she reading, so, you know, your rancha? Um <laughs> I don't know. But here's where she goes into what I take away from the story. This is another one of those I believe. This is what I take away from the story. And that's like, you know, good for you. But that's not what scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's the final authority. Her things that she took away from it, and I'm not going to read everything. The way of Jesus is one of honesty, bravery, love, and kindness. Hmm. That sounds really great. But that although true, is not what the Christian faith is based on. This is the kind of argument that you can say for all religions basically teach the same thing. Yeah, most ethical people are going to say we need to be honest, brave. Honestly, bravery, love, and kindness. These are all good things. I don't know any ethical system that says, no, you should be dishonest, cowardly, hateful, and mean. This This is the image of God and man that even, you know, the pagans and, yeah, everyone, thank goodness. Yep. For the most part so, follows. Mm-hmm. So the second thing she takes away from the story is that new life often pops up unexpectedly. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that is such a watered-down version of what the gospel actually is. And I just want to say that new life does not pop up unexpectedly. If we are believing historical Christian biblical doctrine, we know when to expect that new life to pop up. We know to expect it on the last day when Christ raises us up. And we know to expect it you know, in the in the uh, the salvation narrative, when Christ was raised from the death, she says, you know, so this is what she thinks you should say to kids. When Jesus died, his friends were sad and confused. Everyone thought he was going to be with them forever and would eventually become a great ruler. Yes, true. But that didn't happen. Our story tells us that a few days after Jesus died, his friends saw him again. They were, they were even more scared and confused. And that right there, I would say, no, actually, they became super duper bold, not more scared and confused after they saw him alive. So she said, I would be too. And they heard Jesus tell them, I can't be with you forever, but you're going to be okay. And in fact, you're going to do amazing things in this world. Keep going and keep loving. It's not what they expected, but they felt encouraged and loved. Again, this is the psychological gospel to feel encouraged and loved as if that was the purpose that God wanted us to. This isn't even in the Bible. I mean, this is, oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, So her third thing of what she gets from the story is our stories often reflect what happens in our world. And this, again, is kind of the, the new life popping up. And she uses the example of springtime and 
the next one is our actions are our own even when our friends don't understand we do what's right okay you know that that's great but that's not the crux of the our Christian. actions are our own yeah so say jesus's friends didn't understand why he wouldn't fight back but jesus did what he felt was right even oh. when his friends didn't understand and felt there's that felt again it's there's also, a felt mm-hmm. word again uh so the next thing we can take away even in the most difficult times we can know that we're loved we all bear god's image so god is never far from us again not a bad thing but this is yeah this is God in whom we live and move and find our being but um, exactly Uh, and so this last part this is the one that like I mean just uh, stories don't have to be factual to speak truth Hmm. oh my gosh it's okay to question a literal resurrection questions are how we learn Mm -hmm. and there is always truth to be found in curiosity even if the answers don't turn out to be what you thought they'd be yeah she's turning it into literature like yeah, some she kind is. of well, this fictional, is, you know, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, This is exactly what she says. She, this is what she says you should say to kids. Ask, do you know of a story like a myth or a fable that teaches a great lesson but isn't filled with facts? How might the Easter story work the same way and what do you think we can learn from it? I wonder this if this is, lady had Bart Ehrman as a professor and she's just tried to cobble together her faith after losing her trust in the Bible, and many people might be doing this in a progressive type church, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously it sounds like this is probably what her church teaches. Oh yeah, it definitely is. So they've tried to accept some kind of liberal scholarship and that this is what they've cobbled together. Mm -hmm. And this is really sad to me, actually, to think of a whole church like this. I've never come up this close to seeing the actual theology that they would have. written out like this. I don't know if it's representative, but oh my goodness. Um, I've heard that this is because I know someone that goes to this church and had to leave it because basically it was going to wreck her faith. But anyway, her very last sentence in this Mm -hmm. to me kind of sums it up. uh, So she says, this is what we're celebrating. To everything there is a season, and this is the season of life. Breathe it in. Explore. Create. Play. All we have is this life. Oh my goodness. Let's live it well, even unto death. That right there tells me if all, it's like, if all we have is this life, then we have completely missed. This is atheism. The Christian. It is, it is absolutely atheism. Yeah. And it's nihilism. I mean, oh, I I don't like what she's teaching these children. Does she teach that to these, these first and third grader? What does she teach if one of their, their parents dies? I mean, I. through fifth grade. Yeah, no, and so this is exactly what Paul says. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hmm. Essentially what she's saying. And and Paul is quoting the pagan beliefs of the time. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, so Mama Berries, it's like, I hope this was at least us. (laughs) We want to be respectful in the sense of. We do. We live in a pagan culture, and it has crept into the church. And so this is one of those examples of how we don't need to demolish people, but we absolutely need to demolish these ideas because these are not biblical ideas. If it it says we are to test the spirits to see if they're from the Lord, the way we test these spirits is we compare it to Scripture. Does this teach what Scripture teaches? If it does not teach what Scripture teaches, and especially if it teaches the opposite of what Scripture teaches, then we need to reject it wholeheartedly without restraint and if you are going to a church that is teaching these things i'm going to say don't walk run get out of that church and i would just encourage as i'm just sitting here reading this and i'm just feeling horrible for this lady and 
who posted it and in this church. I think another thing that maybe we can do is when we read through it and we can begin to demolish all the arguments, a really good thing to do is also to pray for the person. Yeah. Immediately, their name is there. God has given us the name of the person mm-hmm. that wrote it, the person who put it, the website it's on, the church. You know, maybe that's a signal to rather, oh, we do, we definitely demolish the arguments. We have mm-hmm. to do that. We have to go through. But then at the same time, we turn that also into prayers for these people because this lady is yeah. lost. Yeah. And it sounds like to me, I'm just kind of, you know, being, you know, the psychologist here, but just trying to understand why someone would do this and still call themselves a Christian. I think they're trying to hold on to some meaning. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes that she, there needs to be something. These myths do help, but she's twisted it to try to fit some liberal scholarship or something. And, yeah. and it makes me sad. Um, so yeah. that might be a good way as mama bears, you know, we can turn some of that frustration also into prayer for her. Because who else is going to be praying for her? I mean, <laughs> oh my, but, but she put her name out there in the public and, yeah. and hey. Maybe that's I want to a- specify that we don't want to do those uh, really, what do they call it? And this is actually in the comments, the really passive aggressive prayers, like I'm going to pray that the Lord turns your heart from rebellion. You know, it's like the, those like really passive aggressive prayers. Yeah, no, um, no. Just, but no. Just to pray for her yeah. heart that I, I sense is there's someone that she, she recognizes there's a value in it. Yeah. And, um, but she, she's very confused in her thinking, it seems. Yeah. And, and I think it's Romans sense. where it talks about in the last days, there's going to be people that have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of what we're seeing, but we're, yeah. we're, way over time so we should probably end on this but um so yeah um i'm just gonna pray for the mama bears that as they as well i always try to say what i'm gonna pray about let's just pray it (laughs) (laughs) um father god we we pray for all the mama bears out there right now lord i pray that this um the things that they heard in this blog post that it's okay for them to feel angry about this in the sense of there is a righteous indignation that our gospel is being perverted and twisted and really changed into the same arguments that atheism is making, Lord. And that should raise something up within us um, that that wants to demolish those arguments. But at the same time, Lord, I pray uh, that we would never be demolishing people. We would always be demolishing arguments. I pray for the mama bears as they are in their church and they're interacting with people with different theologies that they have, Lord, that they would be able to recognize when a theology is completely unbiblical, when they would be able to recognize when psychology, not that psychology is bad, but when psychology is taking the place of divine inspiration from you, Lord, that they would reject that wholeheartedly and that they would be able to have reasons for why they reject it, that they would know where to look in scripture in order to say, "Mm -mm, that is not what scripture teaches, Lord. And for those who... um, are being held captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which are based on the wisdom of men rather than the wisdom of God. We pray that especially for the ones that are in leadership, that are Mm -hmm. teaching our young people, Lord, that you would go in there and your your light and your truth would penetrate. And Lord, we pray that you would take them out of um, authority and out of leadership, Lord, if they are leading others astray, because you do uh, talk about in scripture that, Uh, not everybody, that we should be very, very careful if we claim to be a teacher, Lord, because if we are Mm -hmm. claiming to speak on behalf of you, the teachers are going to be judged more harshly and more strictly Mm -hmm. on the last day. Lord God, we pray that your truth and your, that 
people would recognize teaching that's the itching ears kind of teaching um, and that we would reject the things just because we feel it and because it sounds good, but we would be committed again to biblical truth, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together. Oh,